Welcome to Scotland on Shrooms. This podcast is dedicated to exploring Scotland's relationship with all things fungi and our place in the fungal revolution that's happening worldwide right now. I'm Lynn, your host, and I am not an expert, but probably just like you, I love fungi in all of their forms. And while I'm not the expert, I am really looking forward to meeting those who are. Scotland's mycologists, artists, business folk and storytellers who dedicate their lives and their creative practices to improving ours through the power of mushrooms and fungi. Let's explore Scotland on Shrooms. Hello. So this is the intro to the intro, I guess, um, of the second episode of Scotland on Shrooms, in which I speak with Jim Cook, who is the coordinator of the Tayside and Fife Fungal Group. And the Tayside and Fife Fungal Group is, it's one of many groups that exist right across Scotland. And we are so lucky to have these groups of people who go out to record our fungi, to see what's what, to inspire people to do more citizen science stuff. And... I just wanted to highlight, because I don't do it in the episode, that Jim is part of a much wider network that reaches right across Scotland. And it's also just an absolute joy to speak with someone who has spent their life going out and looking at and recording and spending their time with the fungi that we have here in Scotland. Jim is incredibly knowledgeable and deeply interesting and full of stories. And I really hope you enjoy this episode. The sound quality on this one isn't quite what I would like. Um, we had some difficulties with the recording and um, yeah, there's a little bit of fuzziness on the on the audio. So I do apologise for that. We just couldn't quite use the software um, that we usually use for it. So hopefully you can get past that element of it. There's not loads of it, but it just it does get a little bit scratchy in places. And I just wanted to, to give you a wee heads up about that. I listened to this one again just before I decided whether or not I needed to do a wee recording just to, to let you know about the sound quality. And I said something and made a plan that seems utterly ridiculous now. Jim goes on fungal forays and he invited me along and I said, well, if I can get childcare sorted. And then I spoke about my wee boy who loves mushrooms and going out looking for them. And for some reason, I was reticent to take him out to go on a foray and... That seems ridiculous. So this is my commitment to taking Will, my wee boy, out on, on a fungal foray over the course of the springtime. Because he'll love it. And at no point would I ever want anyone who has kids to think that you shouldn't be taking them out and going into the woods. I had clearly just had a bit of a brain fart that day. <laughs> so yeah, I will be taking Will out on the foray and don't need the childcare because he'll be with me enjoying the good stuff and going out and yeah, being part of it. And it might go brilliantly and he'll have a nice time or he might get annoyed and bored and want to play video games or whatever. But like, you know, you got to try these things as a parent. So I just wanted to, to say that my thinking had evolved and that no one should ever feel like they shouldn't do stuff because they've got a kid, basically. I hope that resonates with some of you if you've got children. And if it doesn't, if you do eventually or like you end up spending time around kids that are family or friends, then you'll know what I mean. Anyway, I really hope you enjoy this episode. I am totally thrilled to be able to speak with someone like Jim and just listen to his stories because they're all brilliant. Oh, another warning on the content. I say, oh, my days a lot, which apparently is my default when someone gives me really interesting information and I feel like I should interject. So 
I think I started counting and I got to about five of those. So yeah, it's one of those vocal things that you have when you listen to yourself back. You're like, oh, is that what I do? So anyway, I say it on my days a lot. I hope you don't mind it. And I'm going to try and curb that on the next ones. Um, let me know how I'm doing. Thanks so much for listening. I'm going to segue very neatly into the episode proper now. And I hope you enjoy Jim's chat about fungi all over the northeast of Scotland. Hello and welcome to the second episode of Scotland on Shrooms. This month I am delighted to be speaking with Jim Cook, who's the coordinator of the Tayside and Fife Fungal Group, whose forays cover a huge area from West Perth right through to the Angus coast and from North Perth all the way down to Southern Fife. I first met Jim in 2019 when I joined a fungal foray in Templeton Woods and I ran into him again last year when out with Sean from last month's podcast. My main memory of that day was correctly identifying some really beautiful, delicate porcelain fungus and I was quite smug about it. And Jim showed us the biggest, most beautiful bolete I've ever seen, although I can't remember the specific type. Jim's a botanist by trade, but caught a fascination for fungi early on in his career and is in demand for talks and his breadth of fungal knowledge is just aspirational, to be perfectly honest with you. And because of that, because Jim spends the best part of his year up close and personal with hundreds of fungi species, I thought it might be a wee challenge for him to come along and speak about his favourite four fungal species. So Jim, it is just an absolute joy to have you. Thank you so much for, for being on Scotland on Shrooms. Yeah, well, thank you very much indeed, Lynn. <laughs> uh, just a little bit there, when you were saying to far west of Perthshire, I must admit, Taft hasn't got there yet. There are uh, just so many places to look at closer to home. I mean, I'm talking about several hundred sites potentially in Angus alone, <gasps> let alone Fife and going into Perthshire, but we have been fairly well up north in Perthshire and often down into southern, central, northern Fife. So, yeah, we're trying to cover the ground and we'll get to the west eventually, but not <laughs> yet. But to go back to your question there, uh, you've got me right there. There are just so many that are my favourites that uh, it's difficult, but Let's start with uh, one or two, at least. Uh, the one I would pick first is probably because so many folk will know it, and that's the uh, bright red one with the white spots on yes. it. You know, the, the classic one, the fly agaric. Yes, um, Jim, brilliant. And it, it is a fascinating fungi in itself, fungus, I should say, in itself, because there are just so many uh, stories about it. It's toxic. I wouldn't uh, recommend it to anyone, although it's also supposed to be hallucinogenic. And I remember reading a story years and years ago about four bright lads from somewhere near Glasgow who were out in a remote spot on the Clyde poisoning salmon, as you do. Oh, my days. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they were hanging around waiting for the poison to happen. Uh, and uh, as I said, there were bright lads, and one of them said, oh, there's a fly agaric. I believe, or he wouldn't have said that. I can't do the accent, but I think it's hallucinogenic. <laughs> so they all tried some, and all four of them ended up in the Western General. Oh, getting my days. Stuff 
<gasps> and then the police were <laughs> waiting to arrest them afterwards. <laughs> for the salmon poisoning, not for the mushroom thing, or for both? No, 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 no. Well, well no. Uh, you can poison yourself with fungi anytime you like, <laughs> and they won't charge you. It was for the salmon poisoning. <laughs> it's a good story. Oh, anyway, that one, that's the flare garret. Uh, those white spots, if you look carefully at them, they actually come off. You can rub them off. Okay. Uh, because they're not actually part of the cap at all. They're the covering over the cap when it's young. And as the mushroom grows and expands, it pushes through this membrane as it comes up out of the soil. And the membrane breaks up into those little spots, which is why <laughs> if you go out looking for it after heavy rain, you'll find these strange mushrooms without white spots. They actually wash off. Oh, wow. And also to make it even more difficult, uh, the colour uh, is uh, water-soluble. So you can get these even stranger-looking sort of orangey-red mushrooms. Same thing. It's not changed. It's just been rather washed. Let's oh, I've say. seen those. I think I've seen yeah. them in that state. Yeah, that's brilliant. And and did, so... you, did you know that they were fly garrick still? I didn't. No, no, because I just well, I associate it with the white spots. Um, <laughs> but yeah, now now I think so about it, I've too. seen them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So that's something new. So the, the little bag that they grow in, is that specific to the Amanita species or is that something yes. that you find? Uh, well, yes, it is. But, of course, as always, things are never quite so straightforward. There are other groups of fungi which have a bag too, one or two others, but most of them don't. Okay. Um, the Volvariellas, for instance, and I'll try and not use the correct names, but yeah. Uh, the uh, straw mushroom. No, I, in fact, I forget the common name. Uh, but uh, I should also mention there are some amanitas that have the bag, as they all do, but none of the white scales end up on the top of the cap when they come through the soil, just to confuse things. So they don't always have white spots. Okay. <laughs> and then... Uh, let's go for a, another very, very commonly well-known mushroom. <laughs> Tesco's best, or Asda's best. Perhaps I shouldn't be advertising, but, you know, <laughs> shop-bought mushrooms. They're a special race of the common mushroom that you get outside, the field mushroom, okay. or sometimes, even better, the big horse mushroom. And the, the horse mushroom, as you can imagine, is the one that's often found, or at least sometimes found, in fields with horses. Presumably, they like the nutrients. <laughs> and, I'll leave, and I'll leave it to you to guess how the nutrients get there. <laughs> um, the, uh, uh, it depends what state the field is in. But, I mean, you see sometimes horses or ponies in tiny little patches, and you're never going to get any fungi in there. But I'm talking about more big fields where the horses can roam around without trampling the place too much okay. and aren't fed really on hay or eating the grass. Uh, and that's where you can get them. But in fact, anywhere like that, and you've just got to be careful that uh, you're not too close to a 
a main road because one thing you've to remember is that all fungi are very good at picking up minerals from the soil and although it doesn't happen nowadays uh, most land immediately adjacent to a busy road uh, is laden with lead and so they can sometimes pick up that so i would go 50 100 yards away from the road before picking any fungi uh, another thing with the all of these fungi these are the true mushrooms by the way the agarics and um they are sometimes confused with a particular species the yellow stainer mushroom uh, that you have to be careful about uh, in fact always check any of these mushrooms that you're picking to make sure they don't show any yellow coloring particularly at the base of the stalk if they do leave them strictly alone because that's the one that uh, is most likely to cause poisoning it's not deadly okay. but you can have an uncomfortable time with it and so you've got to watch but anyway yeah those mushrooms are among my favorites i mean i don't know how you like them but i love them fried yes <laughs> delicious yeah mushrooms uh, fried in butter with a little bit of garlic i think is just one of the the finest yes, yes. or uh, i sometimes do them with shallots or even Ooh. make them up into an omelet uh yeah delicious it was the sorry it was the I'm horse mushroom that my dad and i used to forage for um oh. and they're yeah properly delicious properly delicious apologies i cut you off there so you like your horse mushrooms um with shallots and i like mine with garlic yeah. if i may say at that point lynn both garlic and shallots <laughs> absolutely <laughs> fine <laughs> And it's interesting that, so the fly agaric, the typical kind of woodland beautiful mushroom, is not an agaricus mushroom, it's uh, amanita, and it comes with the vulva, that little bag that then breaks apart and leaves the white spots on the top. But horse mushrooms are agaricus mushrooms and need to be yes. um, checked in case they're actually a yellow stainer because they, they look really similar. So... We have different ways of preparing our mushrooms, but Jim, I'd really like you to tell me about the Sami tribesmen and how they prepare their fly agaric, their Amanita muscaria. <laughs> well, as I said, I wouldn't recommend fly agarics to anybody, but uh, the point is with the Sami, that's the Laplanders, as they used to be known. Um, apparently, they have no way, it's, or rather, it's too cold for fermentation. Nowadays, of course, you just go to the or they would just go to the nearest shop and buy their supplies there. But back in the old days, uh, the only way they could get their kicks, so to speak, so the legends has it, was by things like the um, fly agarics, the toxic ones. Uh, and they would, re again, this is legend. I don't know whether it's true or not, but it's a good story. Uh, to reduce the toxicity, what they used to do, believe it or not, uh, was to feed the fly agarics to reindeer and then drink the reindeer pee. How you collect it from a reindeer, I have no idea. <laughs> I suppose you just ha have to hang around with a suitable container waiting for the reindeer pr to produce something. But yeah, uh, and then they'd drink that. <laughs> God only knows what it tasted like, but... Uh, Legend <laughs> has it, 
it blows your brains. <laughs> and presumably not, it doesn't taste amazing. Um, but it would be warm at least. So I guess there's there's <laughs> <laughs> there's that added little bit of goodness in there. Um, I've also read, I've also read that legend, and I've also read that because of the way that fly agaric can affect your perception things appearing really big, really small, your sense of scale. When you look at, and again, this is like secondhand coffee table book sort of chat, so it's worth checking sources. Um, But the reason that Northern European countries where the fly agaric is relatively common have uh, mythical creatures like giants and elves and fairies is because of this um, shift that the mushroom makes in your your sense of perspective. So mushrooms linked with myth and legend there as well. But thank you for that little, yeah. I hadn't heard that last one about mushrooms affecting folks' perceptions of giants and elves. But but yes, it's, let's say, an interesting thought. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and thinking about that, the Russians uh, used to take fly agarics, apparently, and there's some nice stories, or maybe legends anyway, how true they are, who knows. But uh, in the court of, say, Catherine the Great, uh, they used to make up a de- decoction with fly agarics and then again have a high old time with that. But the trouble is with the decoctions is there was a fairly fine line by how much you could drink without killing yourself. Because as I said, it's both toxic as well as hallucinogenic. And apparently Catherine the Great used to get tickled pink if a couple of the courtiers actually ended up keeling over permanently. Oh my days. That is <laughs> that, that the sort of uh, sense of humour she had. Sounds like a like an interesting lady, and I wouldn't want to get on her bad side, <laughs> shall we say? Well, that's right. She was she was known herself, if I can put it that way, to be highly toxic. Uh, <laughs> that's that's um, yeah. Sounds um, not particularly like the kind of fun mushroom time that maybe the Samis were having. So so yeah. Oh my days. So we like our mushrooms prepared with butter, shallots, garlic, not with reindeer piss. <laughs> <laughs> and we've not. we've taken a little journey through the the Amanita and the Garicus. What is the next mushroom that you want to share with us? Well talking about cooking immediately makes me think of the boletes. Mm. These are the big ones that you can get uh, they can be quite common early on in the autumn. You tend to get them sort of late summer if we get good rain. And last year was brilliant for them because we had that very dry summer, you will remember, mm-hmm. and then quite heavy rain starting in the end of August, early September. And, oh, God, there were loads of them around. Uh, and I did go out on one foray with people uh, and we were just getting dozens of my favorite fungus of all, uh, that's for eating, uh, which is the um, the big bun, you might like to call it, or uh, the set, as many folk know it. Uh, also, porcini in Italian. Uh, and that really is a, a lovely, meaty, mushroomy flavored fungus to eat my favorite Uh, but you've got to get it young and fresh Mm -hmm. because unfortunately it's also a favorite of uh, how can i put it uh larvae um (laughs) 
caterpillars, if you like, uh, of the uh, fungus gnats. And if you get a big one and you feel that the top is a bit spongy, don't even bother to pick it. Because okay. you know it will be totally excavated inside. And unless you like your fungus, let us say, with plenty of protein on the hoof, <laughs> I'd leave it alone. I know folk who actually take them with a, a few tunnels in them. And I mean, they're fried up, so who notices? Uh, but then I prefer mine fresh without. Uh, and that time last year we got them, it really was terrific. I took several nice big ones home and enjoyed them over several uh, evenings. Yeah, delicious. Uh, and uh, again, fried is a good way of cooking them. Although interestingly, I remember going out to visit some friends of mine who were very keen on foraging for fungi. And what they found was that, uh, uh, well, they introduced me to it. And it's a delicious way, which I've had a number of times since a most unusual way of cooking these things, uh, and that's the uh, nice thick slices of them in with um, fresh broccoli and garlic. Ooh. And amazingly, boiled like that, and you served it out onto a plate, and it was delicious. And as I said, I've tried it a number of times since uh, and had other folk cooking it as well. And of course, what you can do if you're French is a little bit of cream on top. But oh. yeah, you don't need the cream. And I can recommend that, Len. Very good way indeed. I love this. I did not expect quite so many um, sort of recommendations for, for how to eat them, but I really appreciate it because boiled with broccoli and a little bit of garlic and cream sounds incredible, but with <laughs> bugs and that extra protein, maybe not so much. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't either. Uh, but yeah, I should mention that uh, most of the boletes, maybe not absolutely delicious, although many are. Some are rather bitter. Some are very peppery to taste. Uh, there's really only one that's poisonous. Uh, and so far as I know, that one only grows in the south of England. So we're fairly safe up here. But you do have to always be slightly cautious. And I should also mention for anybody eating fungi for the first time or eating a particular species, you should always take only a little bit first, just in case you're one of the unusual people who react. And there are some people who do, although I should mention I've tried, it's around about 50 species so far, and touch wood, I haven't had any reactions. <laughs> And I'm Thank still here, obviously. Thank you for that. Yeah, take that a little bit first. Um, one of yeah. my favourite things about a certain kind of bolete, and I think the common name for them is like blue staining, because that's just what they do. Like you get them on the underside yeah. and then you can draw shapes on the on the pores and it well, just actually, stains yeah, bright blue. It's just, really cool. You've just reminded me, in fact, uh, that uh, what I should have said all the boletes are distinguished by having paws instead of gills underneath, uh, which is a, a nice, easy way to recognize them. I mean, others have, other fungi have paws as well, but the boletes are very distinctive in that. And most of the time, what you've got to watch out for is red underneath, because okay. that's the sign of the 
Belita Satanus, the devil's bully, poisonous one. The devil's bully. They have such good names. Um, yes. I, yeah, well, I really appreciate that. It's fab. Yeah, that gives you a, a very good idea of what it does. You can imagine how it earned the nickname. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Although I always think with fungi, how do they know which ones are poisonous and which ones are edible? Obviously, at some time, somebody's tried everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> some folk have found out the hard way. That's very true. I think it was Terry Pratchett that said, all mushrooms are edible, but some are edible only once. <laughs> which um... Exactly. Yes. Exactly. It's a yes. to live your life by. Um, so... <laughs> We've covered um, we've covered Amanita, we've covered the Agaricus and the Bolites. And what's the final fungus that you want to share with us, Jim? Ah, uh, now this is the difficulty. There's one that's uh, I haven't seen it lately in Angus, although I've been looking. I did see some in Stirlingshire last year, uh, and that's one called Pink Ballerina uh, because of its beautiful shape. And it is actually a pink colour, a good pink colour. This uh, is the wax cap, is that right? It is a wax cap, yeah, yes. Yeah. But uh, let's skip the wax caps and on to one that I, um, let's say, see quite often and is quite common. Uh, and that is one that is quite large. It's got gills underneath. It's got a beautiful cap with a sort of, slightly yellowish background, but loads of reddish, brownish, purplish spots on top. So that really gives the color. And then if you turn it over, beautiful custard yellow gills. And its common name is plums and custard, believe it or not. Unfortunately, it's not edible, or at least certainly doesn't taste like plums and custard, but it's just <laughs> the coloring of it. Uh, it's also got a close relative which is much rarer called prunes and custard oh. <laughs> although it, it interestingly i don't know how it got the name it doesn't look at all like prunes <laughs> it doesn't have dark spots on it it's mostly yellow on top so that one really i is one of my favorites simply for the look of it and it is a handsome fungus I remember um, on the fungal foray that I went on in Templeton, that was one of the ones that you pointed out to the group. Um, All right. It properly, it properly tickled me a little bit about the name of it because, like you say, yes. these things have such such interesting names, like fly garlic, because it's supposed to kill flies or make them docile if you mix it with milk. And, um, you know, plums and custard for this beautiful, gorgeous thing. But yeah, it's but you agree, agree with me that it's got a good plum color on top. Yeah, absolutely does. Yeah, and I, yeah. it would be one that I would. Um, it would be one that I might have walked past, to be honest. But then you get that beautiful flash of the yellow on the underside and that lovely contrast. It's just gorgeous. Yeah, is so, that enough? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I um, I just want to ask you just a wee bit about what it is that the Tayside and Five Fungal Group does. And if people who are listening are interested in finding out more, how they might go about doing that? Well, one thing we don't do, although we've been talking about edible fungi, uh, we don't really go out to collect edible fungi. We're not out to strip a woodland at all, although I have seen people doing that. I have seen professional collectors at work. But um, uh, what we try to do is try to find as many fungi of 
all types as possible, including all the little ones, uh, little spots and, uh, or in fact, larger spots and, and flat, crusty ones, brackets, mm. all sorts of fungi, most of which, in fact, 99% of which are not edible or you wouldn't even want to try. They're so tough. And um, we try to find all these fungi, identify them as much as possible. We do take some home to try to confirm the identifications because some of them you can only do microscopically. I mean, it really is a pain. But um, most of them you can identify reasonably well in the field. And then we record their locations. And so we're really finding, identifying, and recording fungi rather than collecting fungi. Uh, we try not to do it. Down south, apparently, they're very against collecting fungi simply because people have done it so much, there's very few left. Right, okay. And I must admit, one place that I've been taking people out to for donkey's years is Templeton Woods at the back of Dundee. Mm -hmm. uh, and thinking about it, in the early days, we often used to get chanterelles, which are, of course, classic edible fungi. And nowadays, you can very rarely find them there. I think simply because so many folk came along in the early days, learned the fungus, which is edible, went out and collected it, and you just don't find it there anymore, oh, which hi. is a great shame. Yeah. I do have other sites that I know of in, in Angus, but I'm not telling you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fair enough. That shall remain a secret. <laughs> so it's not overpicked. <laughs> so, I remember in, somebody say, telling me the story. He was a gardener at uh, a cross in Fife, a professional gardener, who told me the story that he uh, had been keen on finding, and he was quite successful at it, uh, absolute uh, proper truffles. Mm. Uh, you don't get them in Angus or Fife, unfortunately, at least not that I know of. But he knew of a site in East Lothian he used to go to, although one asked him where he couldn't quite remember. <laughs> <laughs> but I asked him how he was collecting them, and I said, did they have a dog or the classic French way uh, of a pig? Mm. And he said, no, he used to just take a rake. But anyway, he found one, uh, a lovely specimen, oh, this was years ago now, and gave it to a friend of his who happened to be the head chef at Pete Inn. Uh, huh? But what he didn't know uh, until later uh, was that the observer that year was running a competition for the best truffle found in Britain, and he won. Oh, wow. From East Lothian. <laughs> That's incredible. Yes. And uh, the prize was a week for him and his family in Perigore, that's the classic truffle place, out uh, finding truffles. They were out in a wee car with a pig. <laughs> How you get a, a family and a pig into a wee French car, I have no idea. <laughs> did. What an adventure. But, that's amazing. Yeah and, yeah, and the pig was out, and of course, if they... If it started grunting and digging, they had to haul it off. Of course, yeah. And dig up the, the truffle itself before the pig did, because the pig would eat it. And, That's amazing. And all from yeah. a truffle found in, in East yeah, Lothian. Yeah. That's incredible. And then, and then in the evenings, they were taken out 
every night to restaurants to sample fancy truffle recipes. So they had a wonderful time. So as the coordinator of the Tayside and Fight Fungal Group, you will come across hundreds of species every single year. And like you just said, you know, it's not about it's not about going out to forage. It's about going out to foray, so to count and to catalogue yes. um, the fungal species. And I was just wondering what happens with that data? Where does it go um, and how is it used? Uh, well, that's a good one. Uh, a bit awkward. I'm way, way behind in recording properly uh, onto particular websites uh, all the data that's collected, but it will all go on eventually. We're also, in fact, actually trying to set up a a new way of recording uh, in TAFC. We're not there yet, but we will be by the time we start uh, looking for fungi, uh, which is a point now. Uh, we start, when I say TAFC, that's the Tayside and Five Fungal Group. Thanks. We're starting to do spring forays, and we're having one. Uh, sorry, we're having three this spring. Uh, in May, you might say spring is now. Well, it may be starting, but the fungi aren't responding yet because the soil will be cold. Uh, like all plants, they need a certain temperature in the soil before they get going. Uh, and that's why, for instance, fungi in the tropics are absolutely rampant, mm. simply because it's very nice and warm, which is what the fungi like. Uh, very few fungi will grow in freezing conditions. One or two will, amazingly, but uh, generally not. So we'll be starting in May, and the way to find out is just look at our website. Uh, we have a website and Facebook page, TAFG. Tayside and Five Fungal Group, T-A-F-F-G, uh, and it's easy to find. So um, that's the way to find out. Brilliant, and Jim. Thank you. Anybody's welcome to join us. You don't need to be a fungus expert, although, of course, if you have a basic knowledge of fungi, very handy, but it's not essential. Uh, but what I would appreciate is anybody contacting me, and you'll see contact details there, and letting me know that you're coming. So we know to look out for you. Uh, and we have a, a, let's say, a small group who come out very reliably and then a much larger group who sometimes come with the suits. And yes, you're welcome to come. You don't have to come to all of them, but some of them anytime. Thank you. Um, so just to ask, where are you going in May? Where are, your, where are the sites that you're heading to? Do you remember? Uh, well, <laughs> it depends upon the conditions, of course. Uh, I'm hoping that we won't get a very dry uh, April and early May, because that would put the kibosh on things. But we're hoping to go to a sand quarry on the eastern outskirts of Forfa, not far away. That's our uh, foray in Angus. Uh, and what we're particularly looking for, well, any fungus, but in particular St. George's mushrooms that were seen there in May last year. But as I said, all these sorts of fungi depend upon moisture. So it, as I said, if it's very dry, we may not get any. Uh, so that's the first one. And we try to have two others so that we've got three in each of the three main areas of Taft. Uh, the next one will be near Burnham, either along the river or up the hill 
into the wood or both and uh, looking for any fungi, but between you and me, morels uh, is what we'd love to find. There are morels in that area, I know, but so far Taft hasn't found them. I mean, I, I, I knew of a very good, reliable morel spot in North Fife near Guard Bridge that I used to go and see them about 25 years ago. And then I went back a few years ago, and I'm afraid to say it had been built on and totally trashed, oh, which is a great shame. Yep. Uh, and then some, uh, I know some have been found up in the Pitlochry area too. So it's fingers crossed. We'll come across them sometime. It's just conditions, right conditions, right place at the right time of year. And morels are very definitely spring fungi and not autumn ones. Uh, and then the third one uh, is, as you can imagine, in Fife, because that's our third area. And the site we're going to is Magus Muir or Bishop's Wood in North Fife, just near Strathkinnis. Yes. And what are you looking so, for there? Is there anything in particular that you want to see? Um, anything in particular, but uh, probably we'll see Chaga, if you've heard of that one. I it's have, a, yeah, but can you talk a little bit more about it? Medicinal fungus. Not that I've ever tried it, but apparently it's supposed to be very good for all sorts of ailments. Favoured in Chinese medicine, apparently, although people do make preparations from it in this country. Am I I'm right? not really sure what for. Am I right in thinking that that's specific to birch trees, the chaga? Yes. Sorry, I should have mentioned that. Yes. Uh, and we had a, a visit there uh, a wee while ago, and we did see them. And unless somebody's been chopping down birch, uh, no doubt we'll find them. Brilliant. Well, Jim, thank you so much for sharing all of your, your chat and expertise and stories with us today. Um, I wish you abundant April showers to make sure that those St. George's mushrooms pop up uh, by four for no, masses of morels. Not too abundant, mind you. Yeah. Not too abundant <laughs> showers. I'd Just like the a, right amount. <laughs> yes, yes. Just to keep it damp, but not sodden as we've had in March. Fair. <laughs> yes. Well, moderate April showers, massive yes. of morels, and yeah, hold out for that chaga in Fife as well. Jim, thank you so and, much. And, and I can I say, of course, Lynn, that you yourself would be welcome to, more than welcome to join us. If I can get the childcare sorted, Jim, I will be there. Um, Because yeah, right. hanging about in woods. And How old? He's five. How old? All right. Five. So he's kind of he he'll get there. I think it's another couple of years before he can properly be out for a few hours looking for stuff. I think he get he'd get bored pretty quickly. <laughs> All right. A couple of years ago, we had a young lady who used to come out with us, and she had a son who was less than a year, oh. and he used to come out in a backpack, oh. either with her or a husband. So he went fungus foraging before he really knew what he was doing. That's brilliant. <laughs> That's brilliant. And they're much more portable at that age. As soon as they get a little will of their oh, own. Yeah. Then it becomes... and, and five is when they have a mind of their own. You've got to watch them like a hawk. Yes. Yeah. 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 But in Absolutely. a couple of years' time, hopefully. Oh, for uh, sure. They'll be big enough and active enough and biddable enough <laughs> uh, to actually come out with you. 
He's already True. spotting um he's spotting jelly ear fungus at the moment. Like he can see quite a lot of that just where we are. So he he gets it. Oh, like right. he he's he's into it. Um but yeah. Have you tried in... eating the jelly ears? No, you can eat them. Oh yes. In fact, uh, they're favoured by Chinese people. They don't have much flavour, but uh, I make them up into sort of Chinese-style soup. Oh, wow. And they do quite well there, yeah. And what do they so do? They... You, so long as you've got the proper jelly eels, that is. And not what else? Wood, uh, uh, there's a whole lot of jelly fungi that you get growing on wood. So you've got to make sure you know what they are. But yeah, they look very like ears. Yeah, yeah. Extremely like ears sometimes. It's um yeah, it's one of his favorites to spot because they can be quite obvious because they look like ears. Um so yeah, he's yeah. he's all right with that. I think we'll give it another couple of years before he's at a foray. But yes, I will hopefully see you in May. Um hopefully by four for because that's not not too far from when yeah. I am. Jim, thank just you going, so much. I was just gonna say, just going back to jelly ears, I was very fortunate uh, last year to go with some other Taft members down to listen to a lecture in Edinburgh on eating fungi. And uh, they had all sorts of decoctions, some of which were interesting, some delicious, some not so. But uh, they finished off with uh, this thing, didn't look very good, but what it was was jelly ears dried and then rehydrated with Cointreau. Oh. Oh. And then robed in chocolate, uh, absolutely delicious. You'd almost sell your granny for one. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, I can say that because I haven't had a granny for sixty odd years. <laughs> well, we've learned uh, we've learned an awful lot, Jim, about um, fungus preparation. But I think that one, apart from the reindeer piss, is probably the most exotic in terms of yeah, <laughs> what we've maybe tried yeah. before and what we haven't. That yeah. makes our um, our shallots and garlic fried in butter seem a little bit pedestrian when you're talking about you know, <laughs> soaking them in cornstarch yeah. and covering them in chocolate. Jim, it's been an absolute pleasure. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing your your stories and your expertise and your um your fungal preferences with us today. And <laughs> yeah, I will see you very soon at one of Tap's stories. Thank you. Take care. Okay, excellent. Thanks Bye. then. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Scotland on Shrooms. If you or someone you know would like to be featured on the podcast, please just email me scotlandonshrooms at gmail.com I'd love to hear from you